quite some months now because I think God has brought you here for a very special purpose. I will try to keep it short tonight. I know many of you have barely slept. One man said, I may be doing this. I said, all right then. He'd only had two hours sleep. I said, I'll know you're not agreeing, you're sleeping. <laughs> My wife asked, for the benefit of the gals who will be taking care of the coffee and tea and all back in the corner, uh, how many of you are tea drinkers? A few scattered. How many coffee drinkers? Quite a few more. How many beer drinkers? Eh? <laughs> yeah, they all go up. <clears throat> you may have noticed on the way in, there's a real downer, there's a sign right out here that says no alcohol, state property. But uh, we, we can live with that, or without that, I guess. So uh, they, they will have tea and coffee service back in the corner before each service, not tonight, but uh, through the feast. Now, uh, my wife has prepared a meal for you all for tomorrow evening, uh, and I think it's tomorrow evening, yes. I'm, I'm suffering a little bit with that myself. And I'm wondering, since we'll all be here, the afternoon service ends at 4. We're doing services 10 and 2 on the Sabbaths and then 10 o'clock on the regular days. Uh, would you prefer to go home and change first before we have dinner and fellowship through the evening? Or would you prefer to bring clothes and change? Or would you rather just eat quick? <laughs> I, I, you can't raise your hands each time I'm saying that. But, uh, at any rate, I was thinking since we end at 4, we could maybe start at 5 or 5.30 uh, with dinner. Would How many would prefer 5? 5? 5.30? Looks, looks like a little more would like 5.30. Uh, some didn't care. Some don't even want to eat, apparently. I, They've been watching Bush and Gore and decided not to vote, period. <laughs> well, why don't we figure 5.30 then? Uh, that, that will work. It uh, gives a little more time to get things out and ready. And uh, some of you who want to go home and change can, and others can just stay here and not change. I thought change is what it was all about. Anyway, another possibility, which I think I mentioned in a letter, and most of you may have seen, and some may not have, since coming just coming in and right into the hall, there's a huge amphitheater out here, and this is a stage above us uh, that overlooks the mountains out here. This is the West Temple, by the way, this huge one right here, and the Watchman is on the other side of the Virgin River over there across from Springdale. But uh, at any rate... We're considering, if the weather allows, to have a few services out of doors, and we have that whole majestic view there. Uh, you might think it's distracting to sit and look at the rocks, but really it isn't. I found out uh, in Africa, we were over in Hermanus in South Africa the last three years, and the first year we had a huge house with picture windows overlooking the ocean. And we played quite a few tapes or telephone hookups that year from Charlotte, or from Jefferson City, and we could sit there and watch the whales out in the ocean. And I thought it would be distracting, but it did not 
affect my concentration at all. It was just a beautiful view, and you could watch them, and it seemed like it even helped you listen more. If anything, it didn't get your mind off what you're listening to. So that's a possibility. Those chairs out there have arms, but they don't have padded seats. So uh, if we decide to do that, you might want to bring a pillow those days. Or even if some have particular problems uh, with hips or legs or whatever, we could take a few chairs out for those as well. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, we have facilities on this side of the building, pointers here, setters back there. And uh, you'll figure that one out. But we did put the ladies back. We, we, we faced it this way so the ladies with the kids could go out that way and, and not have to come in front of everyone with their children. So I think that's all I have uh, tonight that really needs to be announced. This is, I believe, my 46th or 47th opening night at the Feast of Tabernacles. I've been in the church most all my life, and I am getting older. But I don't think I've been as excited ever as I am this time. Uh, we're learning some things. We are beginning to respond, I think, to God. And I think, and I'm excited that perhaps he will begin to show his face to us and some blessings as well. And according to the moon, we're here at the right time. And I think that we're very likely at the right place for us this year. And I believe also that we're the right people. It has been a very interesting phenomenon to me to see this little group come together. Uh, when I decided that I had to leave CGG in order to keep the feast on the right times, I thought, well, I may be doing this pretty much by myself. <laughs> there might be five or ten that uh, will agree. And I had decided, I think I've told you ahead of time, we're not going to proselyte, we're not going to contact anybody, we're not going to try to persuade anybody. Even close friends that I have across the country, uh, I did not call. And then people began to email, and people began to get tapes, and people began to do this and that. And then they started saying, where's the feast? We're coming. And it has just been a surprise and a shock. I mean, we're not big, and uh, most of you, though, are here, I think, for the right reasons, and, and probably the same reasons, for that matter. Now, we're here, but it has been predicted that we are going to argue and fight and bicker over the calendar and what is exactly the right day to keep and that we are going to go away separate and split, divided and unhappy and frustrated. It has been predicted that we will be of no use from now on to the Church of God and fall into obscurity and be no more heard of. It has also been predicted that we have descended into an abyss that we will probably never crawl out of. Further, 
It has been predicted that I and those of you who are here tonight are part of the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not going to answer any of those allegations. I'm not going to address or try to defend or try to say that is right or that is wrong. I don't think that that is important to do, and I think it would be the wrong thing to do. Some of you have read the article that Frank Melty wrote recently called uh, Leaping for Joy When You're Persecuted. And if you haven't seen that article, you ought to get it and read it. It is really good and certainly scriptural all the way through. I thought he wrote it at a very, very fine time. But I don't think that it is good that we answer any of those allegations, or even for that matter, discuss where they might have come from or worry about them one way or another. I think what we need to do is just watch the fruits and determine if those accusations were right or wrong. We'll find out, won't we? God says to judge by the fruit. And we'll see what kind of fruit that we produce here at this Feast of Tabernacles. Every group that goes to the Feast of Tabernacles, wherever they are, whoever they're with, whatever organization or group they're in, produces some fruits of one kind or another. And most go home saying that was the best feast ever and have been for years whether it was or not. I went to some pretty miserable best feasts ever there for a few years. <laughs> and I'm sure all of you did too. We could all tell our war stories. Well, what do we have in common? I hope the first things we have in common are John 4.24. Those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. I hope that we are coming here seeking truth and that we have the right spirit and attitude, the spirit of God, flowing through our hearts and our minds, and that therefore, as we continue to follow the truth and learn more truth, that we will be bonded together as brothers and sisters. Some of you I recognize as brothers. Some of you I see as strangers. Put that together and we've got strange brothers. <laughs> And I guess we are a bit strange, all of us. God called the weak in the base. And I, he didn't say strange, though, did he? Maybe we're not. We are certainly strangers on the earth, though, pilgrims and ambassadors for God's kingdom. But I wanted to mention John 4.24, that we have to worship in spirit and in truth. And those are things that we are all seeking, I hope. And as people study more and more, this thing of the calendar, I begin to recognize was not truth under the Jews. And I think pretty much everyone that's here probably understands that now and we probably won't have a great calendar controversy because you all agree on that. Um, understanding exactly when God intends it is harder than, than proving that the Jews are wrong. There's no doubt about that. But we'll work on that. If we don't have it right, we'll get it right sooner or later because God will guide us if we have the right attitude and mind and spirit. And his spirit will lead us into truth, Christ said. Now, most of us are here. There may be a few who are not. But most of us are here as a response to the calendar 
mess. And having studied through that and realized that you wanted to go together with birds that have studied that feather <laughs> and have discovered that there is a correct way and a wrong way, several wrong ways. But I think even more importantly, what has brought us together here is the message that we are discovering in the prophecies. Uh, perhaps the minor prophets as a specific thing, because I think you've probably all pretty well heard those by now. And I'll tell you what, I have learned an awful lot going through that. I think God just opened it up and gave us insight, and people began to respond to that and recognize that those problems were in the church. They weren't just in physical Israel, they were in the church. We had experienced them, we had felt them, we'd lived it emotionally, we'd been crushed, we'd been scattered, we'd been blown all over the map. And we began to see that God was talking to us there. So this insight that he began to give us has brought us here. And you know what? You've responded to that message. That message is rend your hearts and not your garments. That message is repent of Laodiceanism and lackadaisical, lazy approaches. That is what we've responded to, is what God is telling us in those prophecies that we need to do about our lives. Now, I'm not going to give corrective sermons during this feast. Because I think you've already responded to that message of God that we've been going through in these prophecies. Most people, like physical Israel, under Herbert Armstrong, the World Tomorrow broadcast, simply ignored that broadcast. And it went all over this nation, day and night, all around the world. And most of the world simply ignored it or said, it doesn't mean me. And now that we've begun to apply these things to the spiritual Jew, most people in the church who hear it say, must be somebody else, can't be me. But I'm talking tonight to a group who heard that and said, that must be me. I must need to repent. So I'm not here to correct us. I'm here to be thankful that you have responded to your Father in heaven and to Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Ezekiel, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah. And I don't think you're here to vacation. I don't think we need to talk too much about why are we here. Because you recognize the gravity of the times. Even as I speak, there's only one topic on CNN tonight. And that's the Middle East. And that is heating up. I don't know whether this wave is going to continue going and continue going and this is it whether it takes three months or six months or a year to develop or whatever it is, or whether it's been doing like it has the, less dec the, the last few decades I've watched, is the wave comes in and washes back out, and there's relative calm, and then another wave, and another wave. And we keep thinking, is this the wave? <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Time will tell. But they're getting pretty serious there. It's escalating by the day, by the hour. But you are some of the people who've responded to God's message. Therefore, I think your hearts and minds are receptive 
and ready to do God's will, whatever that might be. I, I hope that we are yielded and we are here to think like him, to act like him, to be like him. And we had a prayer at the beginning that God would come down here and be with us. And I believe he'll do that. I believe he's going to be here with us. We'll be in his company. We may not see him, but he'll be here. The question is, will he be happy to be here? Will he be happy to be among us? Will we be arguing and fighting? Or will we be welding ourselves together in the bond of love and peace? No, we're not here to vacation. We're here to fulfill Zechariah 14. To come to the feast, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, is why we're here. And to sup with him, to be with him, to talk with him, to walk with him. That's why we're here. I want to go back to Hebrews 12 for a few minutes, or a couple of minutes anyway. Hebrews 12. You're all very familiar, and you've had read to you many, many times, verse 6. For whom the eternal loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And we've been told, and I've preached, that we're being chastened. The whole church is being chastened. And we have been. We've been scattered. God has blown the church apart for Laodiceanism. But I'm not going to beat that horse a lot. I want to go on past this. We've, we've read it a lot of times. We've had it read to us. We may have read it ourselves many times. Verse 11, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous, and it has been grievous. We've watched our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our relatives depart and go this way and that way and another way, and uh, friends have become enemies. It has not been a pleasant experience. It's been grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I believe you have endured a great deal of chastening, and it has been grievous, but I believe that this group, from everything that I've been able to discern, from emails and phone calls and letters, are people who have decided you're not going to go along in sarcasm and cynicism and slackness and oh well and ennui. You have decided you're going to do something about it. You've decided to lift up your arms and your feeble knees and stand up and be counted, and follow your God wherever he goes. I believe that of you, or you wouldn't be here. Because you've been listening to a pretty strong message, and you have reacted to it. And therefore, I believe you're in this category. You're here to follow peace with all men and holiness. 
You're here to be bound together in peace. And I think we can accomplish that if we do the necessary things. Now, we're meeting in a pretty remote area. We're meeting where there's not a lot to do, as the buzzword is. What is there to do at such and such a feast site has been echoed for decades by church people all over and in all kinds of different organizations. I was talking with John Reitenbaugh just this last spring, and he said people are getting frustrated with Jefferson City. They're calling in and saying there isn't enough to do. We need to go to a bigger city. And I said, well, I thought we made the right move in going from a bigger city to Jefferson City so that there was less to do. Follow my drift. Less of the world around. Less to get involved in. Less to be entertained by so that we might get our minds more on God. And I said... I guess they're just missing the point. And he said, yes, they are. They're missing the point. So here we are out in the mountains <laughs> with very little to do with this world. But I think we have a lot to do, a lot that is important to do. And we are here deliberately away from the world as far as I'm concerned. I've been lobbying for a long time that we needed to get out of the cities. I don't think God necessarily is in Branson, Missouri, and I don't think he placed his name there. Why would God place his name? I mean, men place God's name where men want God's name, and then they say, God put his name there. Well, how did he? Well, through us. Well, how do you know that that's where he wanted his name placed? Well, because they got lots of country singers. Now, I'm being a little sarcastic, but <laughs> that's a fact. Or Tucson, or Salt Lake City, or whatever city. Some of you remember the early years in Big Sandy, I think. There's some old heads here. And we were pretty much removed from the world. Ma Tucker's was the best thing you could do as far as a restaurant was concerned. And you had to line your stomach to go there. But it's been precious few feast sites that I felt were God-centered over the years. And I think we have that opportunity here. Well, you came, so maybe we won't complain about nothing to do. But I hope before we're through here, you're going to see that you have a lot to do here. Now, what is there to do? You can walk the paths. You can breathe in the awesomeness of God's handiwork. You can go walk along the Virgin River down there, see the deer, find the wildlife, the deer, the turkeys, the coyotes, foxes, whatever. You can ride bicycles through the park. I'm speaking to younger people, I think, now, but most of you are not younger people. I'll tell you something else you can do. I'm going to give you a challenge tonight. You can pray 
harder than you have ever prayed in your life that you did not come here in vain. You can pray with all your being. But God has or will accept our repentance, weak though we may still be, human though we may still be. But this is a group, basically, that has heard some messages that has said, repent. And I believe that these are active, alive, living Christians who are waking up, who are here at this gathering, and I believe you want to be alive and awake. I believe you want to establish the kind of walk with God that we ought to have, that we let slip away through, for, over the decades, the last two or three, that we need a revival of the Spirit of God coursing through our minds and hearts and blood so that we can be devoted to the King, the Lord of hosts. I challenge you to pray harder than you ever have. I do not want to be disappointed again. You do not want to be disappointed again. I do not want to preside over nor be part of another group that is lackadaisical, Laodicean, uncaring, and ho-hum about God and about becoming the bride of Jesus Christ. I want to pray while I'm here, harder than I ever have, that God will show his face and let his face shine upon us instead of his back as he has told us he is doing to the church right now overall. I want him to accept our sacrifice, to accept the offering we have brought before him. What offering am I talking about? The blood of bull and goats? I guess we could. We've got concrete and we've got ramps here we could drain the blood off of out here. And there are some who think we ought to go back to that. Not here that I know of, but some. Don't start looking at each other. <laughs> Am I talking about a physical monetary offering we could bring that God would shine and be happy with that? No. The sacrifice, the offering that we bring before God here is Romans 12.1, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice before God. It has never been about blood of bull and goats. God has never been pleased with the blood of bull and goats, David said. I think it was David. My mind's faulty. You'll learn that. And he's never been into money that much. All the gold is his and all the silver is his, isn't it? What we bring and give as an offering before our God here is good for us, but it isn't what God's really interested in, brethren. He's interested in people. It's always been about people, from Adam and Eve all the way down. Oh, Israel, why will you die? Turn to me with all your heart. And he's saying that to the church. Why will you die? Turn to me with all your heart. That's the sacrifice he's looking for. He wants us to sacrifice our selfishness and our humanness and our selfishness. Did I say that twice? Probably should have for emphasis anyway. And serve him, the Lord God, and serve each other. That's what we're to sacrifice. That's what he's happy with. 
That's what he wants of you and me. That's why we're here, to offer ourselves before God. That's the tithe he's really looking for. He wants the remnant of his people put together. And I think that we have the potentiality of being a part of that. We are at least now aware of what God is going to do. Exactly how or when, I don't know. But I hope we're a part of it. And how we act at this feast could very well determine how much a part of that we are. Because I think this feast can determine how much spiritual growth that we are making. How much we have made. Pray with all your heart that he will bless us with peace. He said in the latter temple, he would bring peace. Haggai 2, I think verse 9. I will bring peace in this place. Are we going to be a part of that? Are we some of the stones that are being prepared for that latter temple? I think we are. Or we wouldn't be responding to the message about it. There are some things we need to really implore God with. When God turns his back on you and says, I can't stand to look at you, what is the response that you should have? I will rend my heart and not my garments, and I will turn to God with my whole heart, and I will try to become holy and righteous and like God so that he can stand to like me, to look at me, to be pleased with me. That's the correct response, like lifting up the feeble arms and the knees and looking to God for his strength and power. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can pray for that, because there are a lot of people who don't think we're very sound-minded being here and keeping this day tonight instead of tomorrow night, for instance. But we won't worry about that. We'll do what we need to do to serve God as we feel he tells us we should be served. But wait. I'd like to see the hands of those who came here to argue and fight and be miserable through this whole feast and make everybody around you miserable. Don't vote on that either, do you? <laughs> Nobody did. You all came here to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, to worship God, to fellowship with people of like mind, to get along, to love each other, to get rid of your inhibitions, your insecurities, your fears, and visit and talk and fellowship together and make some friends that are eternal friends. I mean that, eternal friends. People that we will live and work with throughout all eternity are meeting each other here during this Feast of Tabernacles has been for every piece of tabernacles I've been to, wherever I've been. I, I think that some of those things are developing in God's people that he has called. This is a special bunch of people God has called. I don't mean in this room, I mean overall. And he's choosing out of that the ones to be the bride of Christ. And we all come wanting to be part of that bride, that 144,000 select ones. And I think we have every potentiality of fulfilling that if we will simply do the things that God says. Why do I say pray as you've never prayed before? Because I want us to succeed here. I want us to produce good fruits here. 
sweet and ripe and pure and good before God. You didn't come here with an agenda. If you did, I hope you change it or go away. We're not in this for numbers. I don't care how many are here. I just want people here who want to repent and love and be peaceable and be like God wants us to be, and I want to be one of them. And I have a long way to go. So help me, and I'll try to help you. And let's have the best piece of tabernacles we can possibly have and be as close to God as we can possibly get while we're here. You couldn't ask for a more awesome, beautiful place to turn to your Creator and look up at that full moon and those stars, if it doesn't blot them out, and these majestic cliffs in this environment that we have. God tells us in Romans 1.20, we see God by the things he has created. And we are in a beautiful part of his creation here. It should be inspiring and uplifting, and I hope we will allow ourselves to be uplifted and inspired by it. I want to hit a couple of scriptures here. First um, John 1. We'll try to wrap this up very quickly now. I know you're tired. 1 John 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's who we're first here to fellowship with. We love to see each other and I've already seen people that I do know and love and have for years and I see a lot of different people that I don't know yet that I want to know and get to know and become brothers and sisters with. But our first fellowship here is with the Father and Son. And we want to make sure that we get that fellowship in, that we spend the time with them. If we say, verse 6, we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth, spirit and truth, remember? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son cleanses us from all sin. So we can be here in fellowship with the Father and the Son. We can then fellowship with one another. And if we do it in the right spirit and attitude, we are cleansed from all sin. How's that? I like to be clean from sin. Currently, I still like to sin. But the Spirit of God in me does not want to sin. So I have a fight going on every day, and so do you, just like Paul did. He had been an apostle for a long, long time when he said that. So we're in good company. We just have to overcome as he overcame, and he finally did. He said, I finished the course. I've run a good race, and my reward is sure. Now let's hit two more real quickly. Uh, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, and I want verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. He's talking to us as members of the first fruits of God's people. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We have to put these on. They don't come natural. 
natural is selfish, self-centered, egotistical, vain, uh, you name it. But we have to put these things on, and I want us to be reminded of this tonight, what our attitude should be before God and each other. For bearing one another, i.e. putting up with one another, being patient with one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, to be patient and forgiving. If we will practice that, we'll get along here. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. It's hard for us to forgive one another, it seems, but we're real happy to have Christ sacrifice for us, aren't we? Well, there you go. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, or the bond of maturity spiritually. What will our fruits be? Will we have the bond of maturity here? What have we learned in the last 20, 30, 40, nearly 50 years? Some of us have been around God's church. Have we learned anything? Are we going to fight and quarrel and bicker and argue and divide? Or maybe have we waked up? Maybe have we begun to get a rain on our carnal human nature? Maybe we're beginning to grow again. And maybe we can live up to what God tells us we ought to be again. That's a challenge I put before you. To have the maturity of Jesus Christ. It's a tall order. But that is our goal and our purpose to come to be like he is and to react as he did. It's not natural. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are all called in one body, and be you thankful. That's, if we do this, we're going to have a wonderful feast. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the eternal. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. If we could only just mentally come to the point where we always, you know, we react so quickly to things, if we could just somehow get it in there, it would run through our mind, what would Christ have said? What would Christ have done? Now, the rest of the feast, I'm not speaking to any of you. I'm going to go off in the corner here because I don't want to react. <laughs> My reactions aren't always right. But, boy, if we could just get to that point where we thought before we spoke. My wife tells me that fairly often. That's a personal problem. Let's go on. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God wants us to be bonded together in peace during this Feast of Tabernacles as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a challenge that I put on you to live up to what he tells us we need to be doing here. Now you're beginning to understand why I said pray as you've never prayed before. Because how much peace is there in the church overall? And if God drew us together here this little group of people, he expects us to live up to this instruction. He expects every one of his groups of his people, wherever they are, to live up to this instruction. Some will and some won't. 
the challenge is for us to be one of those that does. It doesn't come easy to us, but we have an opportunity and a challenge here to be a special people. God wants a special people. He wants a people that will be the apple of Christ's eye. He wants a people who are so excited about being the bride of Jesus Christ that they're more excited than ever a young first-time bride ever was. He wants a people who are excited inside. He wants a people who are eager and of a ready mind, as Paul puts it several places. Willing, eager, ready, wanting to serve, wanting to give. I asked what we've learned in the last 20 to 50 years. What have we learned in the last 14 years? As we've been scattered and scattered and scattered and seen division and separation. This group does never have to be separated again. If we will just do what we read in Colossians and Ephesians and Hebrews. God will quit separating and dividing and scattering when his people come to think like he does, react as he does, and be like he is, and walk with he and Jesus Christ. That is the focus of the feast, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, to fellowship with the Father and the Son. And I wanted to stop the scattering and dividing. I don't want to be going through any more of that. I've been through a lot of that. And if we had every one of you come up and tell your story, we would all hear a lot of that, wouldn't we? But it can stop here. Somebody has to take responsibility and do something about it so that God's face will turn and shine and bless. And I challenge you tonight to pray as you never have prayed before in your life. that God will turn his face to us and accept our sacrifice and our offering of ourselves before him at the Feast of Tabernacles, and that we will do what he wants done, and that he can pour showers of blessings upon us, and we can come before God and sing and pray and fellowship together and learn and fulfill the purpose that Herbert Armstrong told us we have for many years to become God as God is God. That's a big challenge. Are you ready to shoulder it tonight and tomorrow and for nine days?